The Protestant Reformation, then and now, takes you on an exciting spiritual journey that explores church history in the 1500s, Bible prophecy in these last days, and the mighty issues facing each one of us today as we await the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Enjoy these eye-opening presentations with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Holy Bible predicted in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, that Antichrist is coming. Let's say this devilish Antichrist appeared before your very eyes on television as you watched the nightly news. How would you recognize this Antichrist? Would it be by his beady red eyes, by the pitchfork he carries, or perhaps by the number 666 emblazoned upon his forehead? Hardly. Even Hollywood versions of the Antichrist are more subtle than this. The truth is that the only way that we can detect the real Antichrist of the Bible is to inspect closely what God's Word actually says about this subject. The facts are shocking. Hello, I'm Steve Wahlberg, and I want to welcome you to part three of a 10-part series discussing the Protestant Reformation, which happened approximately 500 years ago, and its relevance for us today who live in a special time period that the Bible calls the time of the end, right before Jesus Christ returns to earth in power and great glory with his holy angels. The title of this program is called Discovering a Little Horn with a Big Mouth. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, a lot of people are listening to this series, and we pray for your presence. We pray for the Holy Spirit to open all of our eyes and our hearts to the Bible and to Jesus. Please bless as we get into another controversial subject about the Protestant Reformation then and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, are you ready? Uh, again, this is part three of a 10-part series, and the title of this program is called Discovering a Little Horn with a Big Mouth. In part one, I talked about the reformer, Martin Luther, and introduced the shocking truth of what he eventually came to believe about the Antichrist. And I'll quote again a famous saying that I quoted in part two, and this is it. In the Protestant Reformation, the Reformers discovered both Jesus Christ and Antichrist. In part two, we looked at what the New Testament actually says about the word Antichrist, which is really rather shocking to many people because when most people think of the word Antichrist or the Antichrist, they think of one superhuman bad guy that isn't here yet, that shows up in the future. Uh, many times Christians say after, after the rapture, after the church disappears, that's when the Antichrist will show up. But the word itself, the word Antichrist, is only used five times in the New Testament. And they're all in First and Second John. And when you really take a, a close, prayerful, and objective analysis of those five verses— which uh, in the first century were written by John, we discover that when John wrote that, he did say in 1 John 2 verse 18 that Antichrist was coming. But in the same verse, he said, even now there are many Antichrists. And that's how we know we're living in the last time. 
In verse 19, 1 John 2, 19, John made a very shocking statement that we need to really think about. John said that those many antichrists went out from us. Now, the word us means uh, the leaders of the early Christian church. And this tells us that those many antichrists actually arose from not outside, but from within Christianity, that they were really false believers. They were false Christians, uh, a little bit like Judas, who was one of the 12 disciples, but he eventually betrayed his master with a kiss. Back to 1 John, in chapter 2, verse 22, John clarified that anyone who denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, he wrote that there is actually a spirit of Antichrist that is even now already in the world. In verse 4, he clarified that true Christians need to overcome these many Antichrists. In other words, the battle is inside the church. It's not going on outside, it's going on on the inside. In 2 John, verse 7 and verse 9, John also wrote that these Antichrists were tricky deceivers, that they were subtle, that they were deceptive, and that they denied Jesus, and that they did not abide in his doctrine, which is the truth of the teaching of Jesus, and especially the truth of the gospel which is the good news that God loves everyone and that forgiveness of sins and salvation from sin is only through the grace and the mercy and the cross of Jesus Christ alone. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, Paul also clarified that there is only one mediator between God and men, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. And we looked at all these verses in the last program. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus made a famous statement where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father who is God himself except through me. In other words, the only way we can get to our Heavenly Father is through his Son, Jesus Christ. And as we've seen in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, John clarified that Antichrist denies, in a subtle way, the Father and the Son. Now, back to the Reformation. On October 31, 1517, just a little more than 500 years ago, Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk who became a professor at the University of Wittenberg in Germany, posted his 95 protests against the Roman Catholic practice of selling indulgences on the door of a church in Wittenberg. The idea was that if people paid money for these indulgences, all their sins, past, present, and future, would all be forgiven. Now, Luther, uh, by this time, he had been reading his Bible quite a bit. He discovered what Paul wrote in the Book of Romans and in other writings. He knew the New Testament very well, and by this time, he strongly opposed the teachings of indulgences. Luther's view based on the Bible, as we've already seen, was that salvation 
uh, can never be earned or purchased, but that it can be received only by repentance of sin and trusting in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our righteousness. At the height of the conflict, Luther, uh, after he posted these 95 statements against indulgences, wrote a letter to Pope Leo X, appealing to him to stick to the Bible and to take a stand for truth. But when Leo read the letter, he would have none of it. He clamped down and he refused to listen to the German monk. The battle intensified. Pope Leo finally said that if Martin Luther didn't give up what he considered to be heresy, he would be burned alive at the stake. Luther, who was quite a bold man, uh, responded to the Pope's letter by having a big bonfire and burning it in front of his students at the University of Wittenberg. Luther's own words about this event are recorded in a book that I've got in front of me. It's a rather big book. You can buy it on Amazon or you can order it in a Christian bookstore. The book is called The History of the Reformation of the 16th Century by Merle Daubigny. Let me give you that spelling because it's kind of hard to, uh, to figure this out just by hearing the words. Daubigny is D-A-U-B-I-G-N-E. The History of the Reformation of the 16th Century by Merle Daubigny. Now, let me share a quotation that's in this book. This is a classic book on the history of the Reformation. It's got a lot of information. If you're a reader and you really want to get a hold of all of this, you can buy this book and read it from cover to cover. I've read a lot that's in this book. This is on page 204. And what I'm about to read, uh, you know, I just wonder if Luther was alive today, whether he would possibly end up in jail for what people might call hate speech. He'd probably be banned on social media. But this is what he said. I know it's not politically correct, but these are, these are the words from the horse's mouth. On October 3rd, Luther was informed about the papal letter. And this is what Luther said, quote, It is come at last, this papal bull, said he, I despise and attack it as impious and false and in every respect worthy of Eck, who was another defender of Catholicism that Luther debated. Luther continued, it is Christ himself who is condemned therein. No reasons are given for it. I am cited to Rome, not to be heard, but that I may eat my words. I shall treat it as a forgery, although I believe it is true. Oh, that Charles V, who was the emperor of Germany at the time, would act like a man, and that for the love of Christ would attack these wicked spirits. I rejoice in having to bear such ills for the best of causes. Now listen to this. Luther continued, Already I feel greater liberty in my heart, for at last I know that the Pope is Antichrist and that his throne is that of Satan himself. Daubigny's book, The History of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th Century, page 204. Now, reading something like that, I, I want to clarify uh, my views on, on people, on Catholics, uh, 
uh, I want to clarify very, very definitely for the record that uh, I believe that God has true Christians in all churches, including the Catholic Church. Luther himself was Catholic when he wrote this. And, and at this point, uh, he didn't really have any plans on leaving the church. He loved the church. He started trying to reform the church from within, but eventually he, he was driven out and he had to leave because of his stand. And I believe that God has many uh, wonderful Roman Catholics today. And my reading this and none of the things that I'm saying in this series is designed to be an attack on individual people. I, I really don't want to do that. I'm not a judge. God is the judge. He loves us all. Jesus Christ died on the cross for every one of us. But when we're looking at history, when we're looking at the Protestant Reformation, when we're looking at uh, the reasons for the Reformation and the necessity of a Reformation today, we really need the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We need to take an open, honest look at what the facts are. And what I've just read to you, these are historical facts. And as time went on, not only did Luther keep studying his Bible as the battle between him and Pope Leo intensified, but he eventually turned to the prophecies. And that's where we're going to focus on uh, in just a little bit. And I'd like to read again from Daubigny's book, and this is from page 215. I'm going to read this carefully. I want you to listen. Listen carefully. Daubigny wrote that in his reply to the Pope, and as the battle continued on, Luther proved, and I'm quoting, he proved by the revelations of Daniel and St. John, by the revelations of St. Paul, St. Peter, and St. Jude, that the reign of Antichrist predicted and described in the Bible was the papacy. I know for certain, said Luther in his conclusion, that our Lord Jesus Christ lives and reigns. Strong in this assurance, I should not fear many thousands of popes. May God visit us at last according to his infinite power and show forth the day of the glorious advent of his Son, in which he will destroy the wicked one. And let all the people say, Amen. Now that's the end of Luther's quote, and Daubigny continues and says, And all the people did say, Amen. A holy terror seized their souls. It was Antichrist whom they beheld seated on the pontifical throne. This new idea, which derived greater strength from the prophetic descriptions launched forth by Luther into the midst of his contemporaries, inflicted the most terrible blow on Rome. Faith in the word of God took the place of that faith which the church alone had hitherto enjoyed, and the power of the pope, long the object of adoration among nations, had now become a source of terror and detestation. And what basically happened was that uh, hundreds and thousands of, and even millions of people left the Catholic Church finally and became Protestants. And, that's what, and the word Protestant means protest. And it all started with a protest against the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church that had come into Christianity, which were eventually compared with the teachings of the Bible. Now, Daubigny said that it was through the prophecies of Daniel and St. John in the book of Revelation and other prophecies that Luther proved his points. Uh, in the time that we've got left, I want to zero in 
on a prophecy in the book of Daniel, which is found in chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is a prophecy about four beasts, ten horns, and a little horn. If you have your Bible, you can read this chapter sometime. It's, it's very powerful. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, Daniel finds himself in Babylon. He was a Jewish captive, and he went to bed one night, and he had a dream. And in his dream, verse 3 says that he saw four great beasts rising up from the sea, different from each other. Now, the first point is, uh, what what is a beast in prophecy? In Daniel chapter 7, verse 23, an angel clarified that a beast represents a mighty nation or a kingdom. Daniel saw a lion, he saw a bear, he saw a leopard, and he saw a dragon, a dragon-like beast with ten horns. And then in verse 8, Daniel says, as I was considering the horns, there before me was another horn, a little horn, coming up among them, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So there's that little horn with a big mouth. In verse 21, Daniel says, I beheld the same horn, making war with the saints and prevailing against them. In verse 25, he said that this little horn would speak great words against the Most High. He would wear out the saints of the Most High, and he would think to change times and laws. So in Daniel 7, we have four beasts. We have a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a dragon-like beast with ten horns. And out of the head of that fourth beast comes this little horn who has a mouth speaking great things, makes war on the saints, and seeks to change God's law. Now, as I mentioned in verse uh, 23, the same chapter clarifies that these beasts represent great kingdoms or nations. Verse 23 says, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. If you go to just about any Christian bookstore, and if you look in the Bible commentary section, and if you pick up uh, most commentaries and go back to Daniel 7, uh, most commentaries, whether Protestant or Catholic, will uh, accept the facts that the lion represented Babylon, which was the nation that Daniel was living in, and this was followed by the Persian uh, bear, and by the leopard representing the nation of Greece, and then by the fourth beast, which represented the Roman Empire. And then there were ten horns that had to do with the breakdown of the Roman Empire. And finally, the, the little horn, which came up among the ten out of the head of the fourth beast and did the different things that uh, we read about in Daniel 7. Now, what did Martin Luther eventually conclude about that little horn? I'd like to read a historical statement of Luther where he commented upon Daniel 7 and upon the identity of that little horn. He says, quote, that Daniel saw the terrible wild beast, that's the fourth beast, which had ten horns, which by the consent of all is the Roman Empire. He also beheld another small horn come up in the middle of this. And then Luther said, this is the papal power which rose up in the middle of the Roman Empire. So Luther, Martin Luther, interpreted the little horn to be the papal power, which means the Roman Catholic Church ruled by popes. Now, let me, uh, let's just quickly look at whether the facts 
and the prophecy fits the history and whether Luther's interpretation is correct. Uh, Point number one, the Roman church did rise out of the Roman Empire, which was the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7, fulfilling Daniel 7 verse 7. The Roman church did rise up among the ten primary divisions of the Roman Empire in Western Europe, fulfilling Daniel 7 verse 8. The Roman church did become even more politically powerful after the ten horns were in place, which was after the imperial Roman Empire collapsed in the year 476 AD, and the Roman church thus became a dominant player in European politics, fulfilling Daniel 7, verse 24. The Roman church did influence uh, the armies of the Eastern Roman Emperor Justinian to attack, slaughter, and pluck up by the roots three specific powers mentioned in Daniel 7, verse 8, which were the Vandals, the Heruli, and the Ostrogoths. The prophecy said that he would uproot three of the ten horns, and that is actually what happened. And those three horns, the Vandals, the Heruli, and the Ostrogoths, they have completely disappeared from European history, fulfilling Daniel 7, verse 8 and verse 24. The Roman church does have eyes like the eyes of a man because its primary power is centered in one unique individual, one unique office, which is the office of the supposed infallible authority of the Roman Catholic Pope. And that fulfills Daniel 7, verse 8. The leader of the Roman church does have a mouth speaking great things because he claims to be the representative of the Apostle Peter and the true head of the Christian church and an infallible authority in matters of faith and doctrine. And he also considers himself to be the primary representative of God on earth. And the leader of no other church makes that claim other than the Pope of Rome. The Roman Church uh, did make war against the saints by making war against Luther, uh, threatening to burn him at the stake, and by turning over to the state hundreds and thousands and millions of martyrs as heretics. They were turned over, many of them, to what was called the Holy Office of the Inquisition, which for more than 600 years hunted, tried, tortured, and executed those who disagreed with the teachings of the church. And that fulfilled Daniel chapter 7, verse 21. And the Roman church has continued throughout history, is very active today, and will remain a primary player in geopolitics until the close of time, fulfilling Daniel 7, verses 21 and 22. Now, there's a lot of history behind this. I know I'm going quickly through this. Uh, I cover these these facts in Bible prophecy seminars that I've been doing for many, many years. But the fact is, when you look at the points of the Bible in Daniel chapter 7, and you look at history, and you look at what Martin Luther said, and you look at what many other Protestant reformers, countless other reformers, and that includes John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor in, in London, And the list just goes on and on and on. The translators of the King James Bible in the 1600s, they all believed that the little horn with eyes like a man and a mouth speaking great things and that made war against the saints, that this was a prophetic symbol of the Roman Catholic Church system centered in the Pope. 
I'd like to read a story that came out of the Associated Press uh, a number of years ago. It's quite a shocking story, and it's about a mistaken identity. And the title of this article was, FBI Apologizes to American Lawyer Wrongly Arrested in Connection with Spanish Bombings. That was the title of the story. It appeared in newspapers across America on, in May of 2004. What happened was a terrorist bombing had occurred in Madrid, Spain, and it killed 191 people. And the FBI had fingerprint evidence pointing to a Portland attorney whose name was Brandon Mayfield. He was a, a Muslim. And the fingerprint evidence pointed to him as the guilty one. Uh, Brandon Mayfield was uh, incarcerated for two weeks as a result of him being considered guilty until the FBI did some further investigation and they discovered that they actually had the wrong man. And so the article continued and said, quote, court documents released Monday suggested that the mistaken arrest first sprang from an error by the FBI's supercomputer for matching fingerprints. The embarrassed agency then acknowledged the need to, quote, review its practices on fingerprint analysis. When it comes to the correct identity of the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, that uh, power that prophecy predicts would make war against the saints and have a mouth speaking great things rise out of the Roman Empire and ultimately continued all the way down to the end of time, it's a sad fact that Many, many Christians, when they look at the little horn, when they look at the beast, when they look at the Antichrist predicted in First and Second John, they continue to focus on somebody who will supposedly come in the future after we're gone. It's my conviction that they're looking for the wrong man. Today, uh, most Christians are looking to the future when Bible prophecy predicts that the little horn is actually here right now. And he has been here for a long time. It's a fact of history that during the time of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther and many others finally discovered who the real Antichrist is of Bible prophecy. And they took a stand for this. Uh, it wasn't, again, politically correct. Their lives were at stake, but they were captive by the Word of God. They'd been studying their Bibles. They came to know who Jesus was. They came to understand that salvation was through faith in Jesus Christ alone. They loved him, and they were willing to give their lives for him. Jesus gave his life for us, and we should be willing to stand up for him no matter what it costs. The good news of salvation is that God loves everyone. He loves Catholics. He loves Protestants. He loves you. He loves me. He loves Republicans. He loves Democrats. He loves agnostics and atheists and witches and Muslims and uh, those who, who don't believe in the Bible at all, those who are trapped in sin. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus paid the price on the cross for us all. And salvation can only be received Forgiveness can only be uh, enjoyed through repentance and through faith in Jesus and in his righteousness and in his merits alone. Dear friends, it is time for a new Reformation today. And that Reformation is coming. It's actually here right now, and it's predicted in God's Word. In our next program, which is part four, we will discover the facts. Part four is called An End Time Reformation Predicted in Bible Prophecy. I hope you will tune in and be richly blessed.
You've been listening to The Protestant Reformation Then and Now with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. To learn more about this topic, order your copy of the inexpensive pocketbook titled The Antichrist Identified by calling 1-800-78-BIBLE, by ordering online at whitehorsemedia.com, or by purchasing the ebook on amazon.com.